Hello, you're listening to Consuming Culture. I'm Kat McShane, I'm a journalist and filmmaker, and this podcast is all about how and why culture gets made, told through the eyes of the people who make it. Sounds simple, right? Well, I'm hoping this series gives some unique insights into what it means to be an artist when the big issues of the day, like wealth inequality, advances in technology and people-powered social movements, are fundamentally altering the way culture is made, consumed and valued. I've come to an industrial state in an otherwise quite suburban part of northeast London. This is where the designer Max Allen lives and works. The anonymous outside is a far cry from what I'm anticipating inside. Max's work is mostly known for being a kaleidoscope of colour and general reverence that stands out in the series world of fashion. thinking about the first time I actually met you, Max. I don't know if you remember, but it was my 30th birthday. And that was the first time I met you. We were sitting outside on a picnic table outside the pub and I had never seen you before and you were this like, you had long hair and you were very quiet and you were smoking rollies. And I think you had just finished or were just finishing. It would, it's early June, my birthday. You would have just been finishing St. Martin's. Can you remember that? I can't, but I think... Do you remember that I era? Met, yeah, because I'm, that's the thing, is because I was, like, meeting so many people. I was just thinking this earlier about how I met someone else and, like, how I can I can pinpoint a lot of meeting everyone back to sort of one party when I came, first came to London. But I I think for years, and still do feel like that, sort of like that new person, but I was meeting so many busy people at the time and throwing myself into it. And so I remember that time. I remember, I remember the time in which I met you, but specifics are blown also because I was, you know, getting high quite a lot back then as well. It all goes back into one. Yeah, so I met you back then, and I was wondering where your head was at when you were finishing up at St Martin's and what you were thinking about what was gonna, your career was going to look like or what you wanted at that point. I think I've always been quite realistic in the fact that I never really had much of a plan. Like I've always seen that careers move on and change. I, you know, even like my mother got her degree when she was in her forties and then got changed so that. So I've always had a realistic thing that, you know, career paths change throughout life. Um, at that time I was very much like not enjoying fashion because I'd gone to like school. I, I thought I went to Martins thinking it was going to be like you know, nine, 80s, 90s art college, but really it was like a fashion university and there was a lot of, I think my generation was when fashion became an accessible, real industry to tell your parents. Previously, like p- kids used to have to go and to study like art history and then we'd go to fashion, if you understand. Mm. So I had a lot of kids that come from like A-levels that weren't perhaps as rebellious as I thought they would be, that were kind of seeing that... Um, they were like planning these careers at Phoebe Philo or Celine or these sort of posh things, which seems so alien to me when I was straight from Derbyshire from like working in bars was still working in bars. And I was looking at London as being like, Oh my God, this is a tool in which I can meet a thousand people. And I can sit with, you know, different drag queens and queer people every night. Um, and had no interest in go and you know, the path of fashion is really to go to Paris or to New York and make a proper money. So at that time, I think I was just kind of relieved to be not studying, I guess. 
Not that I hated studying, uh, but I was just bloody excited to be able to be going out and having as much fun as I was and meeting the people that I was. So even as, as, a, as, a, as a small boy, as a as little Max, <laughs> was it always fashion? I think so. I think, well, I mean... I realise in recent years that I'm totally more of an artist. I use fashion as like a thing. I guess we can talk about that further on. But um, I've always been like dressing up, kind of creative. I, I think my mother had nannied most of her life and therefore had nannied from quite liberal middle class families in Toronto. So she had learned this, I guess what you'd call it like non genderless bringing up so when I was young I, my, I had a dressing up box and I would wear perhaps a pink dress and a Batman mask um, and was always kind of encouraged to be that but then when I got to a certain age I remember my mother's being like well you can't dress like this all the time because people will think you're a weirdo <laughs> so I think she unleashed a dragon that then was very hard to put back in <laughs> and I remember yeah I've always really enjoyed clothes and the, I'm dressing up and I guess I figured out that that was an industry in my teenage years. I think in, you know, in the late 90s, early millennium, especially in the early millennium, fashion was a lot more like um, democratic. I think that it was the one time that it really, that fashion magazines you were seeing um, money put into like poorer people and independent designers and start, and fashion shoots were like a pair of jeans and then like a ripped top and things that you could actually access because fashion has always historically been for like rich people. Um but around that time, yeah, you were like looking at Kate Moss wearing a bunch of jewellery from maybe Judy Blaine, which I could emulate at home, um, and a pair of ripped jeans, which I could, you know, figure out on a sewing machine at home. And then, so I think that, I, yeah, I saw this demographic fashion and, and felt a way in. Wow. That when I got into it at Samoans, I realised it wasn't that. It was a lot of rich people trying to get jobs in, in, in other rich houses, which is when I ran away from it again. And understand, I think, I, the nature of art as a, a way to go ahead, I think. What was an early uh, childhood Max Allen creation? Remember one? Uh, well, you know what? Um, I One of my earliest memories of being creative was going to a pirate day out. And I was about, must have been about four years old. And just before I'd shoved the rubber from the end of a pencil in my nose and had to go to A&E. But we went there and it was at a reservoir and there was like a, stencil printing and we printed a pirate skull and cross swords and I just found it recently and I've been making it now into this which is like oh. an applique yeah describe like a, this for me now. so um so the, the the print is like a really graphic stencil print of a cross swords and a skeleton's head and I've been emulating a lot in prints but now I've just appliqued onto cotton silk onto a grow grain silk and it's a skull and cross, but the same skull and crossbones, but I've added polka dots into it. So it's almost sort of, it's, it's a more luxurious looking, but it's still a simple, it's just cut out fabric glued on. But it's, you know, it's funny that it, it's come full circle back from my four-year-old self at a pirate day out at Carlton Reservoir. Do you think that any, that your kind of child and your childhood feelings and that excitement of dressing up and making work out of whatever you find is something that still follows you today? Definitely. I think it's, I, I, it's, it's not an old childish, childlike way. Like I want to recreate my childhood in any way. I think that just the action of, you know, aspirational dressing and, you know, we, I didn't have loads of money growing up, but it wasn't like, you know, we had a nice house and I had like, you know, my mother was a bit creative and stuff. So it wasn't like a, you know, 
a way to remove myself from reality, but it was really like a creative thing that was there. I had secondhand clothes from the charity shop and I could dress up and it was a way to create a dream, I guess, in, in a way. Mm, mm, mm. And it always has been. I think it's a really aspirational thing. It still is. Like I still, you know, I cannot afford designer clothes. Therefore I make something that is exciting for myself. But also in terms of who you make for, um, is it important that you're also offering that to other people? You might not have lots and lots of money, but could come to you with some money and ask for something that is going to make them feel like otherworldly. Yeah, that's the point of my work nowadays. Is like, um, like I joke and say it's more socialist fashion. If I'm making fashion, that um, yeah, I I say everyone has to pay, but if you have twenty quid, I can figure that. If you're a friend and I like you and you have twenty quid, I can figure that out. Or I will sometimes have a pop star which has a lot more money or a stylist a bit of a company that has money. But there's a lot of kids and not just kids, people around sort of East London that I really like and I want my clothes to be on. And if you can buy the fabric and you can get fabric for £2 a metre now and a bit of my time, then we can make something for that. Because it is that fantasy and it is like, I think that I dress up and have fun with how I present myself. And I think that people see that and want to have a bit of that. describe it in as, as much detail as, as, as you can. Obviously, the, here we've got a, a picture wall with lots and lots of printouts that have been cut out and all sort of stuck up on the wall in, in front. I can see all sorts of references. I wonder if you can point some out. Oh, there you look. Generally, I have to print everything off. I'm very binary as an artist. I have to... Is it binary? Is that hands-on when I have to literally be... Um, tactile. Tactile, yeah. I can't... I'm, I hate digital. Like... I will get collect all these mm. images online, but I have to go and print them off. And I and I make a file each year where I kind of put all my research from the year into one thing and maybe go and print it all off, which seems wasteful of paper, but I use it all. And it's really important for me to get it off or else onto the wall or else it sits in my brain and rots. But I generally organise it in a weird way. And this is how I organise my work and the references. Mm -hmm. So down here, there'll be like, this is sort of a pleat things that could work into a plique an embellishment these are accessories uh, around here um this is styling so these are sort of energy images that i like that i think about that when a stylist comes i'm like i quite like how this looks as a whole okay and then yeah of course i like to have all my fabric really like a view on view everything here there's nothing is hidden behind a, a cupboard door like, because I like when stuff drops to the floor like this and you see like oh wait that colour's really nice with that colour uh -huh. and then I go off in a damn journal day and make something like that which might not be used but I have a hate of fun um, and I see myself as like kind of drawing or painting and how that is yeah. dropping stuff around and seeing what goes with what and what else have we got around here so we this is more fabrics over here. Well, these are all, these are um, some things I've made, half oh, made. Okay. And these are things from charity shops that are like things that I can customise or things that I perhaps, um, perhaps things that I just find interesting how they've been made. And I buy from, you know, it's just a nice, this dress has little triangle go days in, which is a nice way. And it's just been stitched in quite roughly. Um, and there's these, actually. These old swim shorts, which I stole from an ex-boyfriend years ago. They're cute. And they've got, they're striking, they've got a picture of a ship on. 
but it works for exactly I've sewn on this um, old CD cover too many DJs in a similar way. So that's how, like just a clashing print just on that and something stuck on. You're an absolute magpie then. Definitely. But I do organise it. It's, it. There is like rhyming the reason, I do believe. I'm not a hoarder that much. Let's talk about the importance of the East London queer community to your work and your development. What was your entry point into it initially, into the sort of East London queer world? I um, think I subconsciously knew a lot about it from magazines. So I remember having a picture of Johnny Roo, Radio Egypt, where they were all like these sort of, you know, creative drag queens hanging in like an old churchyard or something. And I also had a picture of Princess Julie that I'd ripped from a magazine, but I didn't know who these people are because I didn't have internet at home. So a lot of my friends at college sort of knew, could tell me who that was and could look at their MySpace page or whatever and was more connected to everything. But mine was this distance. So when I came to London, I didn't actively go to, I knew that those people were there, but I didn't have like, oh, that person's going to hang that in that space. So I... And um, met people from going. I would go out on my own and go to the Old Blue Last and met a lot of people. And the first sort of significant person I met was Lyle Hakaria, who owned Vogue Fabrics, which is now VFD. Um, and he was that was then like an underground illegal bar at that time. And he was also sewing. And I never really interned for people, but I sort of worked with him because it gave me an in to like, I got a job on the door and I lived with him at one point and I learned a lot about sewing. But also with him, I went to Glastonbury and I met good friends with Johnny Wu and then all of the alternative drag scene, which then I then realised, oh shit, these are the people that were on my walls in hindsight. So it kind of organically happened from me being a hedonist and wanting to have a good time, wanting to roll around in clubs and dressing up a bit and being interesting. And then suddenly having someone like Johnny Wu in Wiggers and Heels saying like, oh no, you're a drag queen, come with me. When I hadn't sort of really thought those, put those things into place. So that was really my entrance. And I really think it is through hedonism and through an organic way that I've kind of maintained it all from just wanting to have fun. Mm. And luckily some of those places are avenues in which you can create and make money. But generally it's a place in which you can have a fun and have a giggle and a roll around. And were those years important for you kind of learning about your own identity and then the kind of designer that you were? I think they've, I think in hindsight now, I've really understood why I'm an artist in the fact that when I was at university at St. Martin's, I had like, you know, I, I really had really good teachers and Heather, who is now head of women's wear. I did fashion design with marketing because I needed something extra because I'd done fashion before. And she kept saying to me, like, Max, we know you're going out and doing these parties and we know that you're known around the scene. So you've got the marketing is to bring those things together. But the time I saw parting is, you know, oh, if I've got to do fashion, I've got to be serious. I've really got to do this. And that the queerness wasn't part of it. Um, and my voice and my anarchy and the fact that I would go and, you know, shout about something and wear something. It's only recently that I've put those things together that I realised that those things is, you know, is, is the work of an artist and that, that uh, I can hone those skills. Like the clothing is sort of my business. The fashion is like a business thing and is, is the most easy way to garner attention, I guess. But, um, yeah, those years I realised that, yeah, being an anarchic and doing drag, making clothes, writing as well can, can, can all come together. 
And what about the connections that you made? Have any of those connections also turned into customers? Oh, yeah, most of them. I think majority of the people, I think my work is really, may only make sense when you know me. So, yeah, generally it is people that I know. And then from those people then, because some of them are well-known people, that then that has given me validation and for more financially successful jobs. So, for example, like, I'll work with a drag queen that will then give, give me attention from a pop star and that pop star will then get me attention from uh, an advertising company who need a dress for the back of a, of a trainer advert or something. Yeah, why, why does someone come to Max Allen for, uh, for, for, for a dress? I think that I work against the grain that um, there are lots of people doing one-off pieces, but I think that how I work making one of pieces for the client and because my work has such a strong aesthetic of my own that I know that people can come and trust in or I will give them something that fits them but it'll be very obviously Max Allen um and how would you describe the Max Allen piece of work if it's possible um it's not generally concerned with fashion uh it's not generally concerned with like the desire to show how tasteful you are perhaps <laughs> it's but it's really i i want to have feel the fantasy in which it to be colorful and bright and big but for, to get there i use quite affordable processes like a plique and I hand screen print and I use cheap fabrics. And because of using cheap fabrics, I put a lot of processes into, into them. So they end up almost being, you know, what you can in some way call couture and the fact that it's, that's been really hand worked into. Um, but realistically, it's all one pound fabric and it's a, from a broken sewing machine and it's made by myself in my studio. So I think that people, if you have the eye, see that there is a lot of worth in that and there's a lot of interest in that. And that it's not the most finessed garment, but in the sense of creativity, it's a, like a very finished piece. So if someone had, uh, how much is that process dictated by the amount of money that people have and also your own personal resources? Or is that a choice because that's how you design and that's how you prefer to, to, to design and make work? Um, for starters, I prefer to be have ethics therefore I want to pay everyone at least 10 pounds an hour living wage if you work with me I have occasionally used an intern when the time is right but generally I pay everyone so if you can't afford it you we have to be realistic in what we can make I think that we need to in especially in fashion and in art we need to start being realistic with what is accessible for certain amounts of money if we're going to pay people properly and there's often that I've made a massive dress for someone and realised I paid myself about £5 an hour because the hours it's took. But I know that I've only paid myself that and I've not relied on the work of other people. So that is the main thing for me. I think that we have to be realistic. Um, I really enjoy creating as an artist and I really like having dialogue with people. Therefore, if I like you and really into you and I know that you do not have much money, then I will work with you. Generally, I know that a lot of people have a lot more, like in the sense of stylists or magazines or businesses, have a lot more money than they say. 
And I think it's that about the redistribution of the wealth for me. Sometimes I don't get loads of jobs, but sometimes I'll get an advertising job that'll be a large amount, which means that I can spend an extra three days making something for a, a poorer drag queen because I enjoy it. And then that drag queen will then, because that dress will be fabulous and more creative and be shown, will probably get me more jobs again. It's that balance and that flow between the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my work needs to be hedonistic. It needs to be worn by crazy people in order for it to then, then me to get the opportunity then to get a bigger, larger amount of money where I can hire two seamstresses to make a, a finessed red silk corset. So would you, do, do, do you sort of play around with a whole range of um, materials in terms of expense di- dictated by the mm. amount of money that your client has? Yeah, I mean, I, if you look around, I generally collect fabrics a lot. Um, so I generally don't I ever buy really expensive fabrics because I like volume and I like to have lots of collage and I like to have to work in a process where there's lots of colour around me. And if, if, you, if, you, if you want, because I work in costume, it doesn't always need to be the most luxurious fabrics. A lot of my work is costume for film or for stage. Therefore, like we want something big and impactful. You can get like, like polyester satin, which will in stage looks as beautiful. And if you process it and you pleat it and you add a plique, you can make this massive dress for like a hundred quid's worth of fabric. Whereas if you want to get the real fabric, satin or silk, it costs 50 quid a meter anyway. And you only get like a column dress. So I think that relates to being the fantasy. I think the fantasy comes only through looking for cheaper fabrics and looking for alternative ways to make something uh-huh. and not obsessing about the finesse. Because, yeah, I've worked on big costume shows, big Victorian dresses and stuff. Often they're made of curtain fabrics and they're not finished on the inside. But on TV, they look incredible. And that's a lot of my learning process through. So creating that illusion as well. Exactly, it's illusion. You know, I come from being a drag queen. It is, it is drag. It's like costume is like let's let's spend my Saturday running up something from a charity shop to be wild and look good in club, but can also fall to bits in a minute. Mm-hmm. Not that my clothes do, and but I have the access to make something amazing and brilliant. But why do we want to line something if you're going to wear it a couple of times? Why do we want the amazing picture? And if you're going to be dragging yourself up the high road the next morning. Mm. <laughs> exactly if you're shoving it in a bag to go to karaoke concerts or doing whatever it needs to be durable and needs to not be going to like rot as silk or wool is there a sense of also not being too attached to it like yeah generally I mean a lot of my work comes from recycled fabrics as well so there is that um, you know transient quality to it not to be wasteful and a lot of, when I make a big dress for an advertising company, I always say to people, if you don't want that, send that back because I can reuse the fabric. I don't want to go in bins. But yeah, I think that, like, I remember someone, Natalie, who's a teacher at Print at St. Martin's, I remember talking to her and she said, everything should be special, but nothing should be precious within clothing. I think that if you want to feel a fantasy going to the supermarket, you dress up, but, you know, if you're fortunate to have that confidence thing, you know... Have yeah. you ever seen a big transformation in someone that you've made something for in terms of them becoming more confident as a result of the of what you've made them? Or, or does everyone who comes to you full of confidence already? I think they have to be full of confidence because I think I'm not necessarily concerned with um, this assimilated idea of beauty that we have. We're living in times where it's like hyper-real beauty, where we're seeing more and more, like, you know, most pop stars where thin tube dress and gorgeous makeup and hair I'm more concerned with costume which is about being gorgeous and 
and not making you look ugly in any way, but um, often, and it, the clothes don't wear you, but often you have to be a strong person to get it because you're not going to be obsessed with, you know, sort of binary ideas of what sexy is, I think. I can do sexy, I do enjoy sexy, but I think you have to be confident to understand my work that it is creative and that you have to style it yourself or you work with it in your places that you can wear the full look or you can wear part of it with something else. I think you have to be intelligent and that sounds snobby, but I think it is not saying that you have to be intellectual, but I think you have to be emotionally and creatively intelligent to be able to enjoy work like mine. And what have been some of the pieces of work that you have been um, most pleased with? Okay, like I made an outfit for Shy Girl, who was incredible, like um, musician, singer, writer. And because... I mean, she didn't have heaps of money with it, but it was um, able to pay the fabrics. And I really, I had a lot of time at that time and I really like her work. And she was really into doing something creative and it was full, all these uh, sublimation prints of her face in different, like on a corset and a dress. And it meant that I could put in my print techniques, my um, historical costume references, my sewing capability and make a full thing that really explained everything that I was doing at that time. So she was, that was for a live show and we shot it as well for a magazine and probably will keep using it. I have it now. I see that as like a piece of art of mine, even though it belongs to her, it's her face, I'm not going to put anyone else, but I see that as like a a sculptural piece in some way. And it's like gorgeous, but it's also, you know, it's not something you're going to wear like every day because it's got your face all over it. It's got bum pads on. It's got big kind of historical references. Um, but I generally see that as, yeah, a piece of print art. What would a dream collaboration be for you? Do you ever look at, uh, see people like on Instagram or see people in magazines where you think, I would really like to design for them. I'd really like to make something with them. There's contemporary dancers that I have worked with that I would like to work with again. Um, I'm really much more concerned with that nowadays. I want to get to the level where I can start producing my own work. Um, and, you know, working with choreographers where I can start the, the process and work with a choreographer or work with an actor or and have a more rounded process. You mentioned Instagram, but I have really no interest in that. I can't really look at that in, in the sense of creativity. It's, it's, a, it's a portfolio space and that's it. Yeah. I find image making really unattractive nowadays because it's just become like fashion magazines are just saturated and just obsessed with, yeah, a, Boring ideas of beauty, I think, nowadays. Mm. And and obsessed with sort of um, like shows of wealth, which I find really grotesque. I don't consider myself to work in fashion. I keep saying that over and over again. I use fashion as a narrative in my art. I use fashion as a, um, as a way to show my work and garner attention for what I do. But I found myself so disconnected to it. I used to get very angry and shout about it online. And now I've realised, oh, wait, it's not for me. It's for rich people. Um, but even down to trendy magazines, you know, we have like, you know, quote unquote, cool kid stylists that are doing shoots that are sort of ugly and arty and a bit weird, but they're still using like Chanel and stuff. And that's the, the complete opposite of what I want to do. I would ra- rather use something cheap to try and have some extravagant dream mm-hmm. rather than use incredibly expensive things to shoot on sort of a weirdly unattractive model in a really gross background and try and make it look like punky or something. I say to anyone that works in fashion now, you don't really work in fashion, you just work in advertising. 
because realistically fashion magazines are just advertising they're just sandwiched between an advert for you know rich watches or blood diamonds or expensive perfume and he, and most of those people that's their creative job and most of their real jobs are just doing advertising campaigns behind that and that's fine for them but i find it really annoying when those people hold what we see as a gateway to creativity which it isn't they're just kind of middle class rich kids that have been have money have been able to buy clothes have been able to have time to work at a magazine until they get paid and unfortunately it's showing in the fact that we don't have anything intelligent to say we're we're making big sort of political statements generally with with we're trying to be political but our actions don't mix up with it we try and be in you know feminist but we're still obsessed with like wealth beauty and and buying really unethical fashions down to the fact that your intern is not being paid. Mm. You don't even have to look as far as, oh, our, our cotton is being grown and produced in perhaps Bangladesh in sweat factories. We don't have to think that far away. We literally look to left of us and most people are sending me that to pick up clothes, an unpaid intern to work for something like Dazed, which is, has money. Those shoots do have money. I find it really strange that we can, you know, pretend to have some kind of politics if we, if that's the industry we're creating. Mm. And if they don't have the money, then you shouldn't be doing it. I think we need to start looking realistically to what is produced in London rather than what is shown here and produced in other places unethically. Because actually saying that your work is more ethical because it's all handmade by you or people that you employ. Well, I mean, ethics are totally changeable person, you know, I, so I can't say that I am more ethical, but I know that I stick fully to my ethics. Um, and that's the important thing about it. So I'm not going to sit here and say, I am the most ethical designer in the world. I'm not, but I know that one, the things that I see is really important and the things that I shout about politically, I feel like I can match with my actions. Whereas I feel like a lot of people run on incredible amount of free labour in London and around the world... Um, was that something you experienced when you first graduated from St Martins or while you were at St Martins did you feel under pressure to take free internships and to do lots of low paid labour no because I just have never needed to be fit in like that I'm lucky enough to not really to be able to think differently and and, but also the fact I had to have money I didn't have money behind me didn't have a wealthy family not that everyone does but I had to hit the ground running and, and I know how to work in service I worked in bars and, that, and in order for me to get creativity, that's why I worked really hard being like a drag queen and a mess and being, so I could like make an outfit for someone else whilst working in the bar and have a balance of those things. But I knew that I was always going to get paid. But I had no interest in going and sitting in sort of making clothes for someone that I don't know, for a rich woman who doesn't theoretically exist because you're just selling the perfume really. That's unfortunately what fashion is majority nowadays. Well, this is the thing. Like, a lot of people, including myself, would probably never dream of asking or, or considering that uh, a piece of handmade fashion is something that is accessible to them because it, you think of that and you think couture, mm. you think... Um, yeah, you kind of think it's out of reach. It's something that you've seen on catwalks uh, but isn't something for, like, a... A, a, a sort of mortal person is it important to you that you you know that you are accessible to a broader range of of people than just than just those people who would you know do have thousands and thousands of pounds to spend um on, on a piece of couture fashion 
Well, I think that's exactly why I do it. Because I want those people to, you know, I want those people to be the most best dressed and the coolest. Poor people are the most creative people generally. My new, the new collection I'm making is called Per Il Pavori for the Poor, which is, you know, funny take on stuff because, you know, some of my clothes are like 200 to 500 pounds, which isn't, doesn't count as poor, but is actually quite realistic when you think of it in the sense of what, you know, we live in London and what people spend on clothes to say that a pair of jeans from Topshop is about a hundred pounds now that I can, you know, I can whip you up something that's customised or fresh made for that. But my, mostly my concern is I want my poor kids that are really creative to be looking best because they're the most interesting. What would a Max Allen High Street collaboration be? Who would you who you'd partner with? And you can choose a brand from the past, like a High Street brand from the past as well as now. Um, oof. <laughs> I always say that, like, what... Okay, there's this thing called desiguals. Did you know of this? It's always... It's very European. And it's very, like... It, it's a lot, a lot of design on it. It's very tacky in some ways, but actually this stuff is really beautiful. And that's still going. Actually, Mickey Blanco just did a collaboration with them. Okay. So that's something that's actually there. But I always said there's, like, monsoon. Because it's a little... <laughs> Like Tammy Girl. No. Monsoon. I'm okay. like, because I mean, it's, you know, That's Monsoon great. is a bit, yeah. Why? Go on. I, I guess, like, looking back at it now in context, it's, it, you know, it, it's it's a bit appropriative and a bit colonial. It's mm. a very a hippy dippy. But I it, it was decoration in it. There was lots of embellishment, and it would be nice to do something that had that was interested in that. I think that's what I'm interested in is embellishment stuff. Well, perhaps Max Allen Monsoon collaboration coming to our high school. Is it even alive soon, Monsoon? I think it's I dead. It's not. It probably is on life support. <laughs> it's such a distinct um, of an era yeah. when Monsoon started popping up on high streets. All well, they're about floaty. Floaty tops and jeans. It was, that was the time. It was going to Weatherspoons and like a jazzy top and a pair of jeans and a handbag. Fashion is obviously a notoriously tough business in order to make it work. You're standing slightly outside of it. Um, you're also not taking part in the kind of normal um, way that the, the year is structured in terms of fashion weeks and so on. Mm. How do you make it all work financially and for your for your life? Is it is it a struggle or actually do you, is it is it something that's working out for you by by holding on to your values and the way that you like to work? Um, it, it recently has been. I, I th- in the last year, it's my first year that I haven't had to work in service to subsidise. Um, and just before Corona, I was I'd got to a point where I was um, earning more fluidly from job to job. I was starting to feel think that oh, I can invest a bit in back. In, I was hiring people more regularly. I was realizing I could sort of perhaps get some things manufactured. Um, so that I didn't have to constantly make everything by hand all the time. So I could have a little bit of an easier way of money. Um, and I was thinking about having a holiday, which is kind of nice. Revolutionary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> having a holiday that you could pay for yourself, which is fab. Obviously now it's different. I'm back to being employed and on universal credit, but I'm confident because I know, because I know that I've built that realistically and I've built that from me being anarchic and sort of going in the long way. So I know that I have a, a, a bank of clients that are like, 
dead set on me because they like my work. That's not because I was cool or I was fitting in at one time. So because of being sort of like tasteless and brash and crazy, I know that the people that want me really want me. Um, That's great. And also I know that I can access money different ways. I know I can get a big job. If it isn't a big job, I know that I can make a few pairs of customised jeans for 50, 100 quid or whatever, which people are buying, you know. I think like if you work democratically, there are different, you access a lot more different customers rather than just the rich man or woman. Mm-hmm. And also I guess it's made you, it's helped you stay passionate about what you do because in the process of this uh, podcast series, spoken to artists of all kinds, um, and it has seemed that, uh, and talk to them about the pressures that they have felt as a result of being involved in the industries that they are, which could be performance and it can be fine art, mm. uh, can be fashion design, um, and that a lot of people I've spoken to have felt that they, in a way, had to step away from the industry that they're in or rebelled against it in some way in order to actually stay in it and mm. to keep it financially viable whilst also not burning out and kind of leaving it. Um, and it does feel like with you as well, the only way to stay passionate about it has been for you to step outside of it. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that, like I was saying earlier, that I've looking back in my life, I've learned that, that my process as an artist is the most interesting thing. And my like anarchic madness mm. it really is what's interesting to me and in like a self-expression is so important to you exactly. if you contained it then you wouldn't be able to make the work that you do exactly that I want to be a bit scandalous and I want to those things and that, that's the fun in which that some people don't like my work and some people like it that's, that, that's the interesting thing I like to play with that and that keeps it alive for me being provocative in a, in a more realistic way not in a horrible scandalous offensive way but in a way that's a bit tongue-in-cheek and finger up to the establishment is what I actually enjoy doing by working fashion. Thanks for joining us on Consuming Culture and thanks also to my guest, Max Allen. The series was conceived and produced by me, Kat McShane. Editing was by Dan Bolger. Make sure to visit us on Instagram where you can see artwork especially commissioned for the series. If you don't want to miss future shows, then please do subscribe. And if you like what you hear, we'd appreciate a rating. See you next time.